Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm producing a series of programs on the subject of divorce and remarriage, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcasts. Now, in the previous broadcasts, I talked about the subject of divorce and remarriage in the context that if a person is divorced, that they can still go to heaven, that their relationship between themselves and their God will not be infringed. This, of course, assumes that they do not believe that God holds any sin against them, then it won't be infringed. If they do, then there's lots of opportunity for a person to feel separated from their God, at least in their own mind. My point, though, is that a person needs to be convinced in their own mind concerning the subject of divorce and remarriage, that I can talk about it, I can tell you what I think about it, but in the end, this is a personal issue between yourself and your God. Now, I expect that there will be a number of people, especially those who are divorced, who will hear these programs and they will rejoice. You might be one of those. You might be a person who will be extremely excited to discover the things that I've spoken about in these radio programs. And because of that, you might feel enthusiastic to the extent where you will want to tell other people about this. But I want you to understand something before you do. Before you go and tell everyone who you know about the things that I've spoken about in these radio programs, there is something that you personally ought to be aware of concerning the consequences that will result if what I have said is true. If what I have said is true, then there will be enormous consequences in people's lives. First of all, those who are divorced and they want to get remarried, or if they have already been remarried, then they will probably experience some significant freedom in their lives. But on the other hand, those who have taken a position that under no circumstances, that there are no circumstances whatsoever that would permit a person to get divorced, if there's a person who hears these programs, who holds to that position then they're not going to be very excited about hearing these programs. They are not going to rejoice as a result of this. And I would like to make it clear that it's unlikely that these programs will change their view concerning this subject. Or a person might say that, yeah, you can get divorced, you know, if adultery or abuse was involved, something serious like that, then you can get divorced, but under no circumstances can you ever get remarried. If a person takes a position like that, it is unlikely that they are going to enjoy these programs. And so be sensitive concerning that, and you don't have to impose these programs on them because it's not likely that they're going to have any interest in these programs anyway. They're not going to appreciate what I have said. And you might wonder, well, my goodness, Aaron, if what you have said is true, then shouldn't they respond in a positive way? Shouldn't they respond on the basis of you telling them the truth? And 
Well, that's the problem. The problem is, is that you're not dealing with somebody on the basis of truth. It's not likely that you're dealing with somebody. Yes, it is possible that there are people who hold these positions, who are interested in the truth, and if what I am saying is true, then they will change their position. But, you know, honestly, these people have Bibles at their disposal. These people have plenty of information at their disposal, and chances are they have already taken a position based on the passages that I've referred to. I've referred to a number of passages, and they have a different opinion concerning those passages. And so, please understand that people have already taken a position, and if they hear something contrary to that position, it's not likely that they're going to be willing to confess that what I have said is true. It's unlikely that that's going to happen. If what I have said is true and a person is interested in the truth, then yes. But this is very unusual. In most cases, people have either taken a position that they believe is true or, and this is a very unusual circumstance, this is a very unusual circumstance that a person takes a position because it really is the truth. In most cases, what you're really dealing with is you're dealing with a person who is more concerned about the consequences that will result in the event that what I have said is true. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. What's more important to people is the consequences. Consequences in the sense that, you know, maybe my spouse might decide to divorce me if they realize that they're not going to go to hell if they do, my goodness, don't let them hear about this. Don't let them know this. That's what I mean. People are more concerned about their consequences. If a person is in a ministerial role, what will happen if they change their theology? Chances are they're going to lose their job. They're going to lose their position. They're going to lose their way of life. They're going to have to find something else to do. They're not going to be able to pay their debts. They're going to lose their home. They're going to lose their car. You know, those kinds of consequences. People will be more concerned about the consequences than they will be concerned about the truth. And you must be aware of this. Consider the subjects that I've taught on already, like the subject of forgiveness. The subject of forgiveness will lead to very serious consequences. I explained early in the series that I produced on the subject of forgiveness that one of the reasons why people don't want to believe that Jesus died for all of our sins is because they don't want some people to discover that they've been forgiven. They want people to believe that God holds their sins against them for various reasons and that this is what you're really arguing against. You're not arguing with somebody about the truth. You're arguing with somebody about the consequences of the truth. And if you don't see that, you can argue for days, for weeks, for years with someone about a subject. And you'll feel like you're just going around in circles, that you're not going anywhere. And the reason why is because they are dealing with or they are struggling with the consequences and you haven't recognized that that's what you're really arguing about. You're arguing with this person on the basis of truth when they are arguing with you on the basis of the consequences if you're right, but they're unwilling to tell you that. Because if they did, then they would be exposed. They would expose the fact that they don't care about the truth. They only care about the consequences. 
And you might think that that's strange, that that's unusual. Well, for you it might be. But there are people all around you. There are lots of people around you who live this way. Consider the programs that I've produced on the subject of tithing. The same thing. People will say, yes, Aaron, you're right. But I am not going to tell people not to tithe because I've got a mortgage to pay on this church. And if we don't teach tithing, if we don't threaten people, if we don't extort money from people, then we're not going to be able to make our budget and there won't be a church. They are more concerned about the consequences than they are about the truth. And there's no difference between those things, those subjects, and this subject. That the real issue that you're going to find that you will be struggling with when you speak with other people about this subject is not the subject itself, but the consequences of the truth. You need to be aware of this, because if you're not, you can very easily waste a significant amount of time that you have in your life Wasting it on people who pretend that the truth is important to them, but in reality it's not. And by the time you discover that, it will probably be too late. Now, one of the consequences of what I have explained in the previous programs is that you are responsible. You are responsible to look into the subject yourself. You are responsible for your own marriage. And if you get divorced, you are responsible for your own divorce. And if you get remarried, you are responsible for your own remarriage. I have mentioned this in passing in the previous programs, but in this one, I just want to make it clear that you are personally responsible for your own life and the consequences of your own decisions. Now, these programs have been produced for those who are divorced. If you have not been divorced, then you can certainly make use of these programs to help people who have been divorced. But for the most part, I want you to know that I have produced these programs with the intent of mainly speaking to those people who are divorced and also to those people who are either remarried or who are thinking about getting remarried. That I expect that the people who will benefit the most from these programs are those who have been divorced and are either thinking about or who are remarried. If you are not divorced, then these programs are probably not going to be to your advantage, not going to be for your benefit, especially because I did not want to produce these in order to give you an excuse to divorce. And so I want you to know that I feel very comfortable in saying that it's okay for people not to listen to these programs, especially if they're still married. You know, if you're married and you're thinking about divorcing your spouse, I'm going to tell you what I will tell anyone. And that is that you should not be thinking about how you're going to get out of this marriage. I honestly believe, and I want you to know this, that you should be thinking about how to make your marriage better. That's what I believe deep down inside. I really do believe that you should be working on that and that divorce should be a final option after you have exhausted all options to try to find some way to stay married. This is something that I really want to make perfectly clear. So these programs are for those who have been divorced, and I don't feel bad about producing these programs for an exclusive group of people, knowing that others can benefit from them as well, 
but that these were produced to help people who are hurting. You know, there are other programs that I've produced like this. For example, the series of programs that I produced on the subject of depression. I produced a series of programs where I talked about the subject of depression. And the ones who have benefited the most from those programs are the ones who have been struggling with depression, to include taking medications for depression. I have received a huge response, a huge, enormous positive response from people who have been struggling with the issue of depression, who have listened to the programs that I've produced on depression. But I've also received an enormous response from people who did not like those programs, who were seriously offended by those programs, who reacted in what I will call a violent way towards me because I talked about depression in the way that I talked about it. And who are these people? These are people who don't struggle with depression, who aren't taking antidepressants. These people who are extremely violent towards me because of what I had to say about the subject of depression are people who don't struggle with it, and those who do are the ones who have experienced benefit from the programs that I produced. And so likewise, I expect that I will receive a huge, violent response to producing these programs on divorce and remarriage. And I want you to know that I am prepared for that, that I consider that to be acceptable, that I consider that to be an acceptable loss, to include those people who will decide not to support the work that I'm doing anymore. I will accept that as a loss if it means that I will be able to help those who have been struggling with these issues related to divorce and remarriage. I personally believe that this is worth it. You know, consider your pastor, for example. You might have a pastor who is totally opposed to divorce. And he is also totally opposed to remarriage for whatever reason. You might have a pastor like that. But, you know, one day his wife might divorce him. This happens. Happens a lot. Pastors get divorced. Their wives divorce them. And then what happens? What happens? Well, in most cases, not all cases, but most cases, the pastor will then change his theology. He'll go into the scriptures and he'll pick and choose those verses in the scriptures that allow him to be divorced, that allow him to be remarried. You know, they might be ready for this series of programs. Give him this series of programs. Tell him where he can find it through the Internet or give him some CDs. When he reaches that point in his life, he can probably benefit from the work that I have produced. So there's no reason to give up hope on individuals. Just be aware and be sensitive when you talk about this subject with other people and let people know about what I have produced. Now, in a previous program, I mentioned that divorce is not a sin and that remarriage is not a sin. And, of course, to say that, I have to say all of the things that I said previously in order to make a statement like that. You know, in the law, which is what you need, if you're going to say that something is a sin, you've got to have a law that says that it's a sin. In the law, there are restrictions concerning divorce and remarriage. There are restrictions. And I have given you those references in the previous programs. I've given you references concerning those restrictions. 
and I've explained that for the most part, those restrictions are symbolic in nature. There is an exception in Deuteronomy chapter 24, for example, where God declares it to be an abomination. He doesn't describe it as symbolic in nature. He does describe a remarriage as an abomination. But how does he describe it as an abomination? He says that if a man divorces his wife, he cannot remarry her. That would be the abomination. She can remarry any other man. In fact, it's her marriage to another man that then makes that situation, the situation where her first husband may attempt to remarry her, describes that as an abomination. That's what I mean, is that there are circumstances where divorce and remarriage are referred to in a symbolic aspect, but there are times when it is described as an abomination. And this is one of those examples where a woman cannot remarry Her first husband, if she wants to get remarried, she's going to have to marry a third husband. Her second husband was a legitimate husband. That was a legitimate marriage. And the divorce was a legitimate divorce, but she cannot go back to her first husband. There are circumstances like that. How about divorce? Did the Lord ever give an example where a man cannot divorce his wife? Yes, he certainly did in Deuteronomy. Chapter 22, this is Deuteronomy, chapter 22, verses 13 through 19. He does give an example where he forbids divorce. He says that if a man marries a woman who is declared to be a virgin, and he says that she is not, but it is proven that she is, then he is not permitted to divorce her ever. Now, at that point, she might want to divorce him, in which case the law does allow for that, but he can never divorce her. So there is a restriction, certainly. But you'll notice that there is no penalty for him divorcing her, which is important to see. There is no penalty if he wants to divorce her. There is no penalty for a remarriage, even though the Lord declares an abomination in the circumstance When a woman and her first husband want to remarry, there is no penalty that God gives in the event that they do remarry. They can declare it to be an abomination, but there is no punishment that can be imposed for that abomination. There are other abominations in the scriptures where the Lord declares a punishment. A punishment declared by the Lord does set that law apart from other laws Look, I'm not telling you this in order to give you loopholes. I'm telling you this in order to show you that there are symbolic examples, that there are declarations by the Lord. Yes, there were times when he permitted. There were times when he forbidded. But that's my point. That is to say that the divorce or remarriage in and of itself is not a sin. It is the circumstances surrounding the divorce and remarriage that we should be looking at when it comes to the subject of sin, if that's how we want to address the subject. But in the end, regardless of how we define this or that, you know, in a marriage, there is plenty of sin to go around. When two people are not married, there's plenty of sin to go around. My point is, is that at some point, at some point, you must rest in the forgiveness of sins in order to move on in your life, in order to live in the separation that you have, or in order to live in the marriage that you have. 
to bond with a spouse who may not be your first one, but to bond with them as if they were. You know, I also mentioned in a previous program that adultery was never a reason for divorce. It was never a reason. And I'd like to mention this again in order to emphasize the point, because people are using it as a reason, but in the law, it was never a legitimate reason, not in the sense of the actual identification and proof of adultery. The punishment for adultery was not divorce. It was execution. Now, in order to execute your spouse for committing adultery, you had to fulfill the requirements that were necessary in order to declare your spouse an adulterer. You had to fulfill the requirements. You needed two eyewitnesses, and this did not include your spouse or the person who committed adultery with your spouse. You had to have two other eyewitnesses. Now, that just in and of itself would make it very difficult to have an actual conviction and execution for adultery. If you have two additional witnesses, then certainly you can make the declaration. I understand that. And if your government will allow an execution, then you can do that. I understand that. According to the law, I have to say that that would be a legitimate response. But, you know, in the law, there was a provision that was made in the event that a husband suspected that his wife had committed adultery, but he couldn't prove it. There was not enough evidence in order to bring her to the Levitical priesthood and have her put on trial for adultery. There is a circumstance that is spoken of in the law concerning this in Numbers chapter 5. This is Numbers chapter 5 between verses 11 and 31. If a husband is unable to prove that his wife committed adultery, he can bring her to the priest and you can go through this entire section in the scriptures between verses 11 and 31 and you can see the whole description there concerning what they are to do, what he is to do, what she is to do, the declarations that are to be made, what the priest is supposed to do. And you can go through all of that. Well, you can't go through all of that right now unless you have the Levitical priesthood at your disposal. But my point is, is that the Lord made an allowance for a situation where an adultery was suspected, but could not be proved to the extent that would be necessary in order for there to be an official declaration of adultery. So if there is a suspicion, then you can do this. And I can just imagine the kind of conversation that would take place between a husband and his wife. It would look something like this. Listen, sweetheart, I suspect that you have committed adultery, and you may not be willing to admit it or deny it, but I have a suspicion that you have done so, that there is some evidence, in my opinion, that shows that this is the case. And so how about you and I go to the Levitical priesthood and invoke Numbers chapter 5, verses 11 and 31. Now, she could look at that and say, hey, listen, you know, I did not commit adultery, and I am willing to do this in order to prove to you that I have not done so, because I believe you will be satisfied if we go through all of that. I believe you will be, and I believe you will be apologetic as a result. And I will feel very comfortable continuing to live with you as your wife if we do that. I will do that. Let's go ahead and do that. Or she could say to herself, you know, actually I have committed adultery. And looking at that ceremony, looking at all of those things, 
I think I'd rather not go through all of that. And so she can refuse. And if she refuses, then he can divorce her on that basis, on the basis that he suspects that she committed adultery without officially accusing her of committing adultery because he doesn't want to be guilty of making a false accusation, right? You should recognize what I mean by that from the previous program that I presented on Matthew chapter 5. He will not make a false accusation, but he will find that there is some uncleanness within her. And so he can invoke Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 and 2, and he can say, sweetheart, we are divorced. He can give her a certificate of divorce, and that will be the end of it. And so in that way, yes, adultery can be a legitimate reason for divorce, but not because it is officially declared to be adultery, and not because he has made an official accusation that he cannot prove, in which case he would be making a false accusation, and he would be subject to the punishment of an adulterer. No. Yes, adultery could have taken place, and in his heart he could use that as a reason to divorce his wife, but it is still not an official reason for divorce. Again, I will stand by my statement that adultery was never a reason for divorce. Now, of course, you can divorce your spouse for adultery. I'm not saying that you can't or that you wouldn't be legitimate in doing so. If that is important to you, to divorce your spouse because they have committed adultery, then there is nothing that anyone should say against that. I honestly believe that a person is free to end their marriage in the event that there was adultery or abuse of any kind, I feel very confident in saying that. But in the future, if this takes place in your life, you must begin again. And I want you to understand that you will have to deal with the issues related to forgiveness. And I have done a series of programs on the subject of forgiveness for those who have been violated in this way. But in the next program, I'm going to talk to those who have committed those sins in the context of how they might restart their lives also. And I will explain that in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937 or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,